0: Welcome history friends, patrons all, to this episode, explaining what's going on in When Diplomacy Fails Towers, specifically in relation to our Patreon page. Maybe you're a long-serving patron and you want to know what my plans are. Maybe you're just curious and you always thought about signing up. Maybe you're lost and you're just about to click away. Well, hold that thought, history friend. If you were bothered by that fiver in your pocket at the end of every month and you just don't know what to do with it, we always seem to long for more content from Zach Twomley, then you and three other people in that segment of the world's population should listen to what's coming next. Seriously though, here's your disclaimer that this episode will explain some granular technical things that probably don't interest everyone. It's not a regular episode, so click away now if you're looking for our regular history programming. That's, I think, two episodes before this one. Unless, of course, you want to be part of history and tell your grandkids where you were, when Twomley became even more historically insane than usual. First things first, make sure you listen to the previous news episode explaining what the story is with Matchlock and the Embassy, and why I'm so excited for this new venture in historical fiction. Here's the Sparknotes version, though, in case you've forgotten. Matchlock is a new historical fiction series set during the Thirty Years' War, beginning in 1622. It follows Matthew Locke, a Dorset native who's on the hunt for justice after the brutal murder of his parents in The Hague. Locke's journey will take him up and down the Rhine and bring him face-to-face with some fascinating characters, some fictional, some very real indeed. It is the first in at least 24 books and by the end of this gargantuan series, the first of its kind in military historical fiction, will have brought Matthew Locke's tale all the way up to 1645. A little tidbit I didn't tell you in the previous news episode is that my brain is already paving the way for spin-offs, prequels, sequels, and all sorts of other content. Now don't worry, I'm actively applying the brakes to all these schemes, but rest assured, Matchlock will be my new project, my new baby, for the foreseeable future, and I haven't been this excited about anything I've made since I started When Diplomacy Fails nearly ten years ago. Hey, maybe it would have been more fitting and poetic if I'd waited until May 2022, when we really were 10 years old, but I just couldn't wait that long. I hope you'll forgive me. But, on to the Patreon. In the previous news episode, I gave a crash course introduction into how Matchlock would affect the Patreon. To cut a long story short, $5 patrons will get to access ebooks of Matchlock for as long as they subscribe on Patreon, $12 patrons, on the other hand, We'll get a wide range of goodies, including the chance to read the books before they're released as an advanced reader copy. More excitingly for podcast and audio fans, $12 supporters will also have access to all future audiobooks of the Matchlock series. And remember, those tier perks apply to all future books as well, since I'm self-published now, and certainly not exclusive to Amazon, so I can control my content and decide where it goes. So you can expect all future studies, be they Thirty Years' War, Bismarck or PhD-related, to be made available in the same fashion. Basically, I want When Diplomacy Fails' Patreon to be the hub for all content I release included within this content bank is, of course, what brought us to the dance in the first place, the podcast. Having talked about Matchlock a bit, let's talk about the podcast for a bit now, because we have something very important to discuss. If you didn't stick around till the end of the last news bulletin, you will have missed the important piece of information. Poland Is Not Yet Lost is going to be placed on pause after its 40th episode. Now, what I didn't mention in much detail is why this is the case. and might interest you to know that I wrote those 40-plus episode scripts for Poland Is Not Yet Lost all the way back in summer 2017, or in other words, just after I got married over four years ago. Perhaps because I thought I'd return shortly afterwards, I decided to start researching and writing the Korean War after I finished writing episode 40, rather than just finish the Poland story. As a consequence, the narrative stops in the year 1750, or halfway through the 18th century. And it shouldn't be too much of a spoiler to say that, after halting my writing if Poland is not yet lost, I never went back to do the next 40 plus episodes, to bring the series up to the year 1800, and through all the Polish partitions. And, if it wasn't obvious, I really regret this decision of mine, and what I like to call the, ooh, shiny disease, when I rush to cover a brand new thing without really thinking through the implications for my schedule. This didn't matter so much in 2017 to 18, when this podcast was really just my job, but since I started lecturing and then started the PhD, I found that, hey, imagine that! I had less time on my hands to dedicate to writing new content. My plan, then, was to work through what I had already. I planned to return to writing Poland Is Not Yet Lost in time for the next set of episodes to release, so that you'd all be none the wiser about my lack of plans. But, again, this can hardly come as a surprise. I found I just didn't have the mental or creative energy to research something so distinct and separate from the mind and time suck That was my PhD, and as I had to prioritise the PhD, my brain just lacked the juice to start building Poland back up from the ground upwards. I even started writing script 41, and after a few minutes of staring at the screen I came to the conclusion that I simply could not do this. That was early April 2021. After several discussions with my wife and periods of let's just say intense reflection, my brain started to veer towards something completely different, enter Matchlock. It's hard to describe how freeing it is to just write and tell a story of your own when you've been hamstrung for so long by the demands of academic rigour. Now don't get me wrong, I am somewhat obsessed with creating immaculate footnotes, but the palate cleanser that was writing fiction was just... it was irresistible. And not only that, it actively made me feel better. It refreshed my creative juices and it gave me something unique and exciting to nerd out over that wasn't the PhD or the podcast. It was something completely new. But I couldn't write it, I said. I had to do Poland. I had to finish the story, or else you'd all hate me. And I still struggle with this dilemma. I know it's not nice to have your story interrupted in its middle. Nobody likes that, and believe me, it was never my intention. If I told 2019 Zach just before he started the PhD what I'm doing right now, he'd probably be horrified and it might even send him over the edge altogether because 2019 Zach was a very stressed out Zach, But I've reconciled the decision a bit since then and for three main reasons. The first, mental health related. I just can't bring myself to tackle two research-intensive projects at once. I just can't do it. My brain won't allow me to do it, not without serious protests involving migraines, a plotting pace, and also probably work that is just substandard anyway. So the fact that Poland is not yet lost, literally can't be done right now, is a pretty good reason. The second way I reconciled it is that I will finish this Poland story. I'm committed now to jumping back into Poland in summer 23, just as the PhD is winding up, and I can leave that block of PhD research behind. It should be added that I envision really good things for Poland is not yet lost generally, including a book that will gather the first 40 episodes together and will probably begin in 1648 so we can see more of the peak of the Commonwealth's powers and Sobieski's finest moments before things get really, really depressing. In short, I'm not abandoning Poland. Poland is literally not yet lost. It's just being placed on ice for now. The third way I reconciled it is connected to my PhD, and I alluded to this at the end of the last news episode. You're now placed on notice. Britain Goes to War will be returning to make up for the gap in content for $5 patrons. Instead of Poland is Not Yet Lost, essentially, you'll be getting two episodes of Britain Goes to War every month. But maybe you're new to this whole when diplomacy fails thing, and you've no idea what Britain Goes to War is. Well, allow me to enlighten you. Britain Goes to War began as a whopper ambitious project. Noticing a pattern here? Wherein I committed myself to trace British history from basically the mid-19th century up to the First World War. No, I don't know what I was thinking in late 2015. That made me believe this was a good idea. What we ended up doing was hovering around the Russo-Turkish War period of 1877-78 from the British perspective, which involved a look at Disraeli, from an angle rarely have ever talked about in the mainstream, and never represented in podcast format. But we never really moved beyond that period. We brought Disraeli home from the Berlin Congress in summer 1878, and the narrative kind of just ended there, fairly abruptly. At the time, I was high off the experience of my masters, and I thought that I could still offer something really unique and interesting on the era. And believe me when I say I still do think I can... I'm also aware that some rabid fans of Britain Goes to War remain, and they're dying for the series to be resumed. This time though, history friends, we're going to tackle things differently, and I think you'll agree after listening to my plan, we're going to make Britain Goes to War a far better experience this time around. So let me set the scene, because my PhD structure actually helps explain why I'm returning to Britain Goes to War, and why this return won't be as mentally taxing as researching Poland Is Not Yet Lost would be. My PhD thesis, I hope you're sitting down and ready to absorb all of this information, but my PhD thesis examines British national honour during the High Victorian period, essentially the latter half of the 19th century, and it assesses how important that ethos was in Britain's relations with its neighbours and in foreign policy decisions, in addition to how national honour was used and what forms it took. Yes, even in my PhD, if you weren't aware, I managed to research diplomacy in some form or another, just in case you thought my impassioned nerdiness was reserved only for you. Now, since I started this degree at Trinity College Dublin in autumn 2019, it's been really fascinating. Even though I'm halfway through now and somewhat tired of honour, I'm still very excited for where this will take my research of international relations and, of course, Victorian era history. I'd love to measure the extent of the impact that National Honour had on diplomacy, I'd love to make more people aware of it, and of course there's a whole load of other things that I'd like to do. But that's the brief of my PhD, and where it's relevant to us, and to Britain Goes to War, is in the way that it's structured, as I said. I decided the best way to approach the PhD from the beginning was through case studies, which would take the form of crises in British foreign policy, and I chose three such crises. The case studies or crises that I selected are as follows, the Schleswig-Holstein crisis of 1864, which we should be fairly familiar with, the Russo-Turkish War of 1877-78, to so yes, we'll be revisiting that, and then something completely different, the loss of Sudan in 1885. Each one of these crises offers something different in the study of national honour, but also from a general narrative perspective too. I'll go into more detail in a wee bit as to why I chose them and what's involved in each, but even from this surface presentation, you should note that I selected crises from each decade. If you're aware of your later 19th century history, you'll also know that this was a very eventful time. Thanks, Captain Obvious. Each case gives us an inside look into three very different governments and three very different events. It also provides me with a great base of research which can be expanded upon for you guys without much effort so there's more of a focus on narrative rather than the nitty gritty granular research that the PhD demands. The fact that this adjustment will be relatively straightforward is the reason why I'm resurrecting Britain Goes to War. It should also be said that exploring these periods more deeply will be immensely beneficial for me, generally, in terms of getting more context for the PhD, so, yeah, everyone wins. So, in brief, or as much brief as I'm capable of, let's look at each case now so you can understand where I'm going with each one and why you should be excited. I should reiterate, this doesn't mean I'll just be focusing on, for instance, the Schleswig-Holstein crisis in 1864, and that year and nothing else, or the specific moments of the Russo Turkish War from 1877 to 78. Instead, you can see it as a base from which to work from. Rather than just 1864, then, I'll be examining the wider context of Palmerston's government that ruled the roost from 1859 to 65. This examination includes several fascinating episodes in diplomatic history which we've yet to come across in our When Diplomacy Fails journey. And this is when I expect a lot of you to sit up and take notice, because one of the first things that I want to look at in some detail is Anglo-American relations during the American Civil War. I know many of you will be really interested in this. Questions such as how close they came to war, particularly during the Trent Incident in late 1861, will be particularly juicy listening for us. We'll also look at the context of Napoleon III's war with Austria in 1859, which Palmerston's government inherited, and Napoleon III's intervention in Mexico, because that was a weird one. There's the Polish uprising in 1863 to consider then, as well as the actual Schleswig-Holstein event itself, which I know we received an education in from Bismarck's perspective already, but trust me, I would argue the British angle is equally fascinating. And then we head into the second case and the base provided by the Russo-Turkish War. But we're not going to look solely at the Russo-Turkish War. Oh no. See, we had to bridge the gap and provide some narrative on the period in between, from the end of Palmerston's last government to the beginning of Disraeli's second premiership. Expect an examination of the Is War in Sight crisis of 1875 between Germany and France, which Britain was very anxious about, views on Gladstone's, less active foreign policy before Disraeli came to the Premiership, and how the Franco-Prussian War affected Britain's relations with Europe and with Russia, whose Tsar took the opportunity to repudiate the Crimean War settlement. The Russian Boogeyman features heavily in the second case study. We'll see how badly not just Disraeli wanted war, but how he was joined by the Queen in this. We'll revisit Darby's quest to avoid war with brand new eyes and a fresh set of sources that I already cannot wait to share because I've found some serious golden nuggets. And then there's the beginnings of the great game in Asia, again with Russia, what it meant for Britain's position and the unfolding set of disasters in South Africa, crowned by the Zulu episode and the loss to the Boers, which came from a desire to make South Africa a federation in the same vein as had been done more successfully in Canada. And that's before we even mention the Berlin Congress, which also deserves a revisit, and a whole host of other incidents along the way, such as Disraeli's views on Bismarck and Britain's forgotten alliance with the Turks. There's just so much to absorb in this period, and taking this broader approach will really help fill in some blind spots I have on the PhD, as much as it will give me more freedom to explore. Again, I've been saving a whole load of juicy things for you guys as I encounter them. Then we come to the third case study, probably the wild card, the loss of Sudan, which is certainly less well known, but which gives us a great opportunity to explore colonialism and imperialism among the great powers. We're going to look at the Berlin Conference, where the scramble for Africa supposedly began, and how Britain overreached itself in Sudan, and also expanded into Egypt. In Sudan, the scene of General Gordon's infamous martyrdom, we'll look at how this was received in Britain, that sense, the sense of shame, losing to the Mahdi's barbaric hordes, really forms the pillar of my third case study for the PhD, so I'll look forward to bringing you some findings on that that I'm sure you'll see as very, very interesting, but this sense of shame was actually lessened somewhat by the advent of another crisis, again in Afghanistan, where Russia seemed determined to stand off with Gladstone's liberals and provoke another crisis. We'll likely end the analysis, and end our Britain Goes to War series there for the moment, with a monumental political event where Gladstone's Liberals split over the question of what to do with us troublesome Irish, thus creating the Liberal Unionist Party and engendering Conservative ideas right up to the eve of the First World War, when in 1913 the Conservatives merged with the Liberal Unionist Party to form the Conservative and Unionist Party, the name that party officially retains to this day, and it's all Ireland's fault. We will likely stop our coverage in 1886 or so, but it's very likely we'll return in the future. It should be said that Scripps won't be available for this because I'll be releasing each of these three blocks of episodes as individual books. Now don't ask me how long or how many episodes will be in each of those three blocks because even I'm not sure yet where this journey will take me but I'm so excited to bring this era to you guys in a more accessible format where I have the freedom to research what takes my fancy and we can all benefit from it. I won't even say where I intended to draw the line for each block but there will be a definite difference in theme, characters and, of course, government, as we move through the three different ones. I also have no idea how long this will take, as in how long this will be available in the Patreon feed, but it will guarantee you guys get plenty of stuff for the foreseeable future, and I don't have to worry about you feeling unloved. Perhaps it will keep you ticking over until we cover more Bismarck, because the Iron Chancellor will be a constant fixture during this period, and he'll be impossible to ignore. Again, though, don't forget, just because you're not getting the scripts doesn't mean you're not getting love. You $5 patrons will get the e-books of these blocks for free, and if you're a $12 supporter, you'll also get the audiobook for your troubles as well. And yes, any non-fiction audiobooks will be read by yours truly. I think I might have said that already, but just in case I haven't, that's your official notice. The hope is that by repurposing my PhD research like this, the stress and burden will be reduced and I'll still be able to give you guys really good value for money. By keeping my researching brain firmly in the eras I need to be in for the PhD, I won't feel awkwardly detached from things as I would if I had to research and write 40 new Poland Is Not Yet Lost scripts. Hopefully now my decision to postpone Poland Is Not Yet Lost makes sense and you won't be too disappointed. As for another elephant in the room, I don't think there's much point in setting out a plan for when Bismarck will be reaching you, but suffice to say it will be after the PhD and after the second section of Poland is not yet lost, so I'll probably start working on it in late 2023 and have it to you by early to mid 2024, if everything goes well. I don't want to make any promises, but since many of you have been asking, it seems like the most likely outcome. I just have to prioritise the PhD now, guys, so I hope you understand. Even if I wasn't doing Matchlock, I really wouldn't be able to switch to doing Bismarck at the same time as doing the PhD. Britain Goes to War is like a convenient compromise for me, because you get the era, the themes, and quite a bit of Bismarck anyway, but from the British perspective, and I don't have to worry about a new project, which I won't have the time or energy to create right now. And let me be clear, in case my tone might seem a bit misleading here, I really want to do Bismarck justice. When he returns, you will all know about it, and will certainly be doing it in book form as well. So when I say I'm preparing these Patreon tiers for the future, I hope you understand what I mean. Expect the usual $5 and $12 rules to apply in basically all projects going forward. It's the best way I can think of to give everyone as much value for money as possible as those Bismarck series will be part of Hardcore When Diplomacy Fails, and thus exclusive listening for the $12 folks, the fact that the $5 supporters will still get their Bismarck ebooks is a really good compromise. And then there's the Age of Bismarck series to look forward to, which will be more comprehensive and detailed and almost certainly available to everyone whenever it comes out in 2097 or something. I may have mentioned this already, but... Britain Goes to War won't be accessible until early 2022, for the reason that, well, it's not ready yet and I'm working most intently on my PhD and getting Matchlock ready for release right now. But as a make good, once it is available, however long it takes me, I'll make up for that absence by running it weekly until we make up for lost time. So for example, if we don't start Britain Goes to War until January 2022, which is the tentative date for it to begin, I'll run it weekly for four months to make up for the months of September, October, November and December, where you supporters had no extra podcast content to enjoy. When I say I really appreciate you, I mean it. I want you guys to feel like the most valued patrons in all of podcasting, and the best way to do that is to give you my very best work. This very best work includes Matchlock, of course, and I'll say again for those in the back, I really hope you'll be willing to make the transition to historical fiction, as I did. Since you're still here, it's likely that you enjoy what I do and i love to have a history friend like you on my side as I explore this exciting but also terrifying new world and make a new path in history content creation. And that, I believe, is all I have to say. Remember to listen to the previous news episode if you want to learn all about Matchlock and especially if you want to hear the prologue of that first book. The blog post also goes into some extra detail, so make sure to click on that link below as well. Until then, history friends, my name is Zack. You are, honestly, you're just the best. I'm so excited, have I said that already? And this is a wonderful new era, not just in when diplomacy fails, but also in the life and times of Zack Twomley's career. Maybe in a year's time I'll look back on all this as the moment when I truly snapped and lost my sanity, but right now I feel fantastic, and I hope that you do too. Let's fight back against the doom and gloom with some good news for a change. Matchlock is coming, Britain goes to war is back, and I can't wait to see you all there... ...soon.